Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Welcome back once again to the epic narrative. Of course, we've got lots of things to do. Why? Because this story goes on and on and it involves so many people. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. I, I know, I do know sometimes, um, you know, here on the Epic Narrative, you hear a different perspective of God and his character and covenant and the plan of God for the promised land. And it's so different than what many have been taught in their churches and in, you know, all the way from Sunday school. Like I, I totally remember uh, from last week's episode, I totally remember painting, uh, not painting, coloring in you know, the drawings while the teacher told the story and and Miriam, Aaron's wife, dancing, right? And they were like, and they danced and celebrated how the Lord had, had rescued them and killed the Egyptians. And when I look back, like, I, I know, I'm not saying it was a horrible thing, but it, it just conditions you as a child that God kills. And and it should be celebrated. When God kills your enemies, you should celebrate. You should worship. You should, you know, dance and sing to him. And and there's something about that that's never addressed. And the other, the you know, there's, there's something about teaching that stream without without developing critical thinking in, in the children, without saying, listen, what? We choose this interpretation of God's character, but there's other ways of looking at things. And giving people that opportunity is something that I love to do here on the Epic Narrative. And and I know that even, you know, even, uh, you know, my daughter and my producer who helped me on this, uh, sometimes, you know, they hear me say things and, and they're not 100% behind it. It's okay. It's okay. I know that sometimes I, I give people such a radical good God that it's hard to believe. And and at some level, it, we just, in our humanness, because of who we are, we say he can't be all good. Because look at my circumstances, look at what's going on. Or in this case, they were like, look, he killed everybody. How could he not be the killer? It's like, well, because he doesn't. He, Jesus didn't. And that's that's what we always go back to. I know that uh, for some of you, that's a lame form of apologetics to keep going back to Jesus. But as somebody myself who has studied apologetics and enjoy it and read it and interact with it, I mean, even now I'm reading a book. I think I mentioned this before, too. I'm basically reading two theology books. But but it's all contained in one because one theology theologian is is critiquing the other theologian, and so I get to read both theologians, and it's just good to exercise my brain. Uh, and I don't I don't agree with everything they're writing, and I have no doubt that if they heard my podcast, there's you know that at least one of them would probably go you know into into epileptic seizure just theologically. They would just start shaking on the ground because they'd be like, this guy is so wrong. God's a killer, but he's holy and righteous and on and on we go. So 
I appreciate those of you that have been along for the ride. And as always, you have permission not to agree with me. And also, you have permission not to argue with me. You can just go with it. I think it's a beautiful way to live with a God who's good all the time. And so far, I haven't found inconsistencies with the way Scripture's um, written. I do find inconsistency in the way that people present him. And I do find that, uh, you know, I, I, you know, we've said it. Uh, so, you know, to put it bluntly, sometimes I think Moses gets in the, in his own way. His, his passion to present God in a way that will help these people, these slaves, finally get their lives together as quickly as possible and accomplish all the things that need to be accomplished He's, he's trying to do that. He's trying to write this down and write this history down for them to rehearse over and over again so that they behave and don't, you know, don't screw it up for the rest of the rest of the world. Uh, he feels a ton of pressure, I think, when he's writing this. So I also, I also, you know, got to keep in mind that, that, that these guys are traveling in a, in a desert uh, in our travels in our RV, we have been to desert places. And one time, uh, one one afternoon, my wife was going to go to Walmart or whatever, and, I, and she goes, what, what are you going to do? And I was like, I, I'm just going to go into the desert. I just want to go into the desert. I think I mentioned this before on the podcast. And I, I rode my bike out, you know, the, down the road for a ways, and we were, I was in the middle of the desert, so to speak. I knew I wasn't technically. I knew the town was like three miles away, but... I, I get out, I park my bike, kind of kind of laid in a little ravine, and I go for a walk. And it is incredibly disorienting in a desert. It, you just, you just, it all looks the same. Now, I'm sure if I lived in the desert, I would start to see the nuances of the desert, and it probably doesn't all look the same. But for me, it did. And for me, it did. And I, yeah, I was just, yeah, Bob's like, well, you know, you grew up in the woods. It's true. I grew up in the woods of New England. And I remember as a small child, like, you know, fifth, sixth grade, I could run into the woods and I was in the woods. Like, uh, it's weird, you know, as a little kid, like my imagination running, I'd be, ch be ch being chased by whatever or chasing something or pretending I'm a hunter or building a small fort or I'm just doing all this stuff in the woods. I'd spend hours in the woods. And then I... Always do my way home, but I have no doubt because cousins would come over or whatever. I'd take them into the woods. They were incredibly disoriented. They, they, the, all the trees looked the same to them. To me, they looked like, you know, they were, I, I knew them. I knew they weren't all the same. I knew my trails. I knew, I knew that if, if for some reason I got somewhere where I was lost, I knew how to walk out of the woods. Uh, you know, you you just walk straight line, find the nearest road, figure it out from there. It's it, it wasn't something I was ever afraid of doing. So, anyways, I walk into the you know the desert, and it's all looking the same to me. And I thought I did think of these passages because I was studying them at the time, and I thought this would be crazy spend the whole day walking through all this. And I thought of the like how we have to travel in the RV. We Everything has to be packed in such a way that it won't jiggle. It's bizarre. But even the littlest vibration and you, you know, against your cabinet door, and when you stop for the night, 
there's like a groove carved into your cabinet door or the paint's missing or the you know the uh the wood the corner of the wood is gone because the chair had moved out just a little bit we have to strap the chairs down strap the couch down uh strap the dining room table down uh everything nothing can move and if it jiggles it can't be touching anything else it, you know if it is going to have some variation so like even in the cabinets you you know everything has to not uh, you know the plates aren't strapped down but they are on non-skid mats on the you know on the thing and some of these cabinets we pack them tight like i'm thinking of myself of the you know the coffee cabinet i have to I have to pack it tight, but even so, there I know that there's movement because the inside of the cabinet door you can see it. the The cabinet door is definitely, you know, showing the uh, what happens when things rattle around inside the cabinet. So I think of people on this journey, and if they're packing their carts, they they do, you don't want things to jiggle, you don't want things to shift. You got to make sure that it's strapped down. When they put things on donkeys. Uh, and I think we covered this on the way out um, of Egypt, but donkeys, donkeys were the beasts of burden. They are, they are honored in the nation of Israel. They were the, they were, uh, you know, what kings rode on because of the honor that they, that the nation gave them for the work they did at helping them get out of Egypt. Uh, they were exempt from any sort of sacrificial. Uh, duties. If you had donkeys and you know you had to sacrifice the firstborn, a lamb was sacrificed in in its place. You cuz you didn't you didn't take out your donkeys. Donkeys were an honored beast of burden. So you'd you'd load up your donkey, you'd strap it down tight because you didn't want anything rattling loose cuz man, you're just walking, you're walking in the desert. It is it is not easy footing. Uh and, and, you know, donkeys are very sure-footed, but it's still going to rock back and forth. And if it's not strapped down exactly right, eventually that box is going to work loose. And as soon as something works loose, like the whole thing falls apart. The whole thing. It's, it's fascinating. Even in an RV, like, is, like occasionally we'd open up, a, you know, a door or a, uh, a, I, oh, there was stuff on the dresser, right? Stuff on the, uh, we have a, uh, a couple things on the dresser that are kind of locked down, but one day it, it you know it, it it worked itself loose out of the strap, and then everything on the dresser was on the floor, just boom. And the one thing that was strapped to the wall literally uh, hung; it was hanging off the wall and just banging against. And we were like, "Oh my goodness!" Shower doors. I mean, there's every well, they didn't have shower doors, but anyways, you get the picture. Everything had to be strapped down, uh, and then of course you you got you know you got lots of people. You got family. You got flocks. You got mules. All of them need attention to make sure that everybody's ready. To make sure everybody's together. I mean, I, I watch people in RVs that you know have three, four, five kids, and they're traveling the country, and I say, God bless them. I, I keep in track of all of their stuff and all of them. And, and then they, you know, the people are like, yeah, we have two dogs. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Now at this current time, we have just purchased a puppy. He's 
you know, like 11, 11 weeks old. We're going to be with him in this one camping spot uh, for the next couple months. But but then we're going to hit the road. And our thought is, man, we got to figure out what to do with all of his stuff. We got to strap all that down and we have to keep him in line. And then we have to travel. And wherever we travel, we have to make sure that there's a dog park or you know, if we stop at a rest area, whereas before it was just the two of us, we could just go to a truck stop and, you know, go to the bathroom, pick up uh, something to drink, get back in the in the truck and boom, all down the road. But now it's going to be like, no, we're going to need to stop. We got to make sure that uh, we named him uh, Zacapa. Uh, you can look him up on Instagram. He has his own page. Zacapi makes me happy. Anyways, Zacapa, it's a, uh, oh, it's the name of my favorite kind of rum. It's out of Guatemala. Yeah, I got, no, I was introduced to it. Interestingly enough, I was introduced to it on a missions trip. The last day was the only day that we allowed everyone to go shopping. Our missions trips were actually missions trips, uh, not vacations with an, with a, an opportunity to, you know, to, to take my picture um, feeding some poor child on the side of the street. Like we, we worked hard, really hard for, I don't know, I think it was eight or nine days. And then with the 10th day, we went to the marketplace. Uh, so we we went, you know, we were at the marketplace and uh, everybody was covered and I was with our our interpreter and he was a great guy. And he and I were just having a blast and <clears throat> kids were all spread out in their small groups, but all spread out. And he was like, hey, do you want to you want to do, you know, walk down this place? So I'm walking with him. We went on a tuk-tuk ride. We... Went on one of those crazy uh, uh, decorated buses. We just, I I honestly, it was one of my favorite days um, of relaxation. It was just a ton of fun. But he introduced me to this type of rum when he found out that I liked rum, which he had to be, I mean, I understand why, but they have to be really careful because they don't know what the boundaries or some would say the standards are of different, you know, Christian groups that come down. So when he found out that I liked rum, he was like, he was like, oh, man, you've got to try this. So we tried this Zacapa rum, and, man, it was good. It was so good that when I got to customs uh, that next early the next morning uh, at the airport, I think I bought at least two. It might have been three bottles of it. I think it was two bottles. It was on, quote, sale, right? You buy one for this amount, two for – you got the second one and a half off. So I bought two, and, man – I've never been the same. Uh, never been the same. And so, yeah, he's named Zacapa. Not that I, I don't drink rum every day by good, no, no. But if I have a choice, if I have a choice, if if all the options are on the table, money is no object, then I get that kind of rum. Anyways, you have to make sure he's all ready to go. And you can't stop just anywhere anymore, right? We have to make sure we stop where he can go and get a little exercise and relieve himself and then get back in the truck and then we'll continue. And all these things I think of when I think of these guys getting ready to go during the day and they always had to be ready to go because they were all supposed to watch the cloud, watch the pillar and be ready. Uh, when when the when the pillar moves, we move. And I think of, of quote, God, right? Leading these people, uh, the pillar. Like you can't move fast. If you're in the front, of, of a group of people like this, you can't move fast because there are always stragglers. It doesn't matter how dictatorial you can be. And I trust me, in my lifetime, 
running youth mission trips and camps and conference centers and events. I could, I, I was, especially early on, I was incredibly dictatorial when it came to moving people. Oh my goodness, I was famous for this. But it still, it still, I had to lower my expectations because even despite my incredible pushing, there were those who just didn't seem to get, they just couldn't get it. They just couldn't, you could do all humanly possible to prepare the way so that all they had to do was show up on time. And yet they somehow found a way to straggle. They found like they'd get there and be like, oh, wait, uh, I forgot my, you know, my Nalgene bottle. I forgot. Oh, was I supposed to bring that? Yeah. It's the only thing. Yes. The only thing you were supposed to bring, like we covered this 17 times last night before you went to bed, bring this to chapel. And you were like, yes. And we, I had you repeat it back to me, like 17 times you repeated it back to me and you're here at chapel. And what don't you have? I'm really sorry, Bob. I'm really sorry. I forgot. I'm just so, it was so stressful getting here. Stressful, stressful. What did you have to do besides walk? Anyways, that was that was my journey. I had to learn to be patient, kind, and loving because that's what Jesus would do. But man, I was mean. I was I was downright mean to a lot of people because of their lack of ability to move. So I think of that when I think of this pillar leading the people. And then there's always those who you're trying to lead who want to run ahead of you because somehow they think they know where you're going. And that's a whole nother lesson when it comes to God leading people, right? When you, when you, when God starts to lead you, he gives you the next step. But if you project where he's going, you can run way ahead of him and you can even accomplish a lot of things way out there. And then you turn around and you realize I'm exhausted. I don't, uh, my resources have fallen off. My, you know, the, the, I don't feel God's present feel. I know that's I don't think God's with me. Like, what's going on, God? And he's like, well, I never I never wanted to go there. You you wanted to go there. I'm here with you, but it's not where I wanted you to go. It's fine. I love you. I'm good. You know, good things are going to happen. Good stuff happen. But, you know, you missed the opportunity to walk with me because you were so excited to walk ahead of me. And, and listen, he gets that. There are people that are built that way. And I've been around those two, those people too. I'd be like, you know, while I'm trying to, quote, lead, lead the group somewhere, it's like, no, 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 come back, come back, come back. Again, mission trips were a great example. There were always a few teens that were three, four, five, you know, uh, not blocks, but like doors ahead of us. I'd be like, no, guys, guys, come on back, come on back. No, we're turning, we're turning here. And then they come running back. Whoa, yeah, but I found this great, I found this great store. Can I go in this store? No, you can't go in the store because we're here. We're going this direction. Oh man, I really wish we could go to that store. Well, we didn't come here to go shopping. We came here to help people. We're helping people down this street. <laughs> it's crazy. So anyway, all of this goes through my mind when I think of travel days with a million people. I, I can't imagine the love and kindness of God in all of this. And at some level, I can't imagine what Moses went through because he's constantly moving with the, with the people. And I'm sure they, a lot of them wanted him to be up front and, you know, Moses will follow you and Moses is kind of up front. But then there's this group of people that are spreading out 
I'll call it like horizontally next to him. And then they kind of arc their way in front of him and they're kind of getting around the cloud. And some of the people are now all of a sudden it's, you know, the cloud is moving, but there's a group, there's kind of a small group of people in front of the cloud. And then there's like basically a circle. And I'm sure God's up, up top just kind of chuckling because as much as there's people way out front, he's, you know, he's also seeing the, the stragglers, the ones that are like, I, I just didn't have time to prepare. I, I didn't know we were leaving this morning. And, and well, you're supposed to always be ready to go. Well, I know, but, you know, we, we were just settling in. It was just so nice. And, 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 then, and then, you know, I had to go to the bathroom, and then I forgot to get the wood, and, and then we, we, I couldn't find the rope. And, and I, well, do you put the rope in the same place? Well, I kind of do, but sometimes I forget because I needed it somewhere else, and then we needed water, and we're running low on water, by the way, and then we also need food. Like, I don't know where all the food's going to And Anyways, I just, I throw all that out there. I know we spent 20 minutes on it, but... I throw it all out, all out there because these are the things that I think sometimes get get lost because preachers don't have time to go through it because they're only given, I don't know, some of them are only given 18 minutes, 20 seconds because they're on a podcast or a video feed to 12 other sites and this is all they have and everything has to be super can you know ready to go. And then there's others who can. They do have time. My daughter and son-in-law go to a church down... Um, Near near Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, in in the Metroplex there, but man, there all, all it says is their church starts at ten. That's it, and you don't know when it's going to get over. Worship team worships until they're done. Preacher preaches until he's done, and the worship team comes back. And it could be two, two thirty, three o'clock. And I know that there's a lot of urban churches that do that as well. I mean, it's not it's not the church standards that I grew up with. Uh, the mega churches, the mega site churches, they are very um, standard, and they keep it that way. So there's, it takes all kinds to roll through this. So I know the, but I just know a lot of them don't have time to really give you an opportunity to kind of meditate and imagine what it'd be like when the cloud starts to move and all the people get the message: clouds move, clouds moving, clouds moving. Clouds moving, pack up, pack up, pack up. Tents have to come down, ropes have to be stored, stakes have to be pulled up, stakes have to be stored, all the rugs, all the carpets, all the the canopies, all the room dividers. It, it was... <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm really sorry, I sneezed. Wow, that one stuck up on me. It was a massive undertaking to move. Uh, so... They've been, they, sorry, it, yeah, it leads into this, this chapter, chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of sin, not the sin that, it's not the sin of badness, it's, anyways, uh, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So they've been on the road for two and a half months, basically, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So I'm sure that this grumbling didn't start with, you know, you've brought us out into the desert to starve this, this entire assembly to death, right? Because that's what they said. 
Verse 3, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I, I don't I don't think it started there. I don't think they're... It just, it just started, right? They're moving. They're packing things up. They're noticing, man, we're running low on supplies. We're running low on supplies. Are you running low? I'm running too. Do you guys have any... You know, any uh, flour left, any uh, meat? Do you have anything left? Any any dried vegetables? Any wine? Anything at all? Like they're starting to borrow from one another, uh, loan each other things, kind of help you kind of get through. Like you're getting down to the, what, what do they call it? Like rice and chicken type of thing or rice and beans, kind of the, the staple uh, food, grains, easy to find, easy to keep long-term type of things. I mean, we, we have some in the RV because we don't know. We have some dehydrated foods. We have some, you know, standard rice and beans that we keep because it's like, well, you just don't know. Like, you could break down. We could break down. We could be days without help, uh, and that's okay. Like, we, we're prepared for that, but you have to be prepared for that. Now, I think that they're starting to run in into using those sort of rations. I don't think – it's not like Moses didn't have to prepare for himself. He did. And he knew that they were all running low. So they come to, you know, they, they show up. But but the slaves and victims, slave slash victim mentality, uh, they tend to escalate things quickly. And it tends to be around being more selfish and being more of a victim. So when they find out that, you know, that their neighbor isn't doing well and needs food, they might loan them something, but then they also think, man, I, I better start hoarding this. I better start rationing this. I need I need to take care of me. And, and what happens to me? What happens when I run out of food? What happens when I have more children than them? I have more flocks than them. I, I need to take care of me. And, and this opportunity, see, this is just a, a, a circumstance. Circumstances are irrelevant when it comes to your attitude and approach to them. Circumstances do not matter, and they don't matter to God. His goodness is always there. His his wisdom is always there. His provision is always there. So it doesn't matter. And, And this is an opportunity for all of them to come to this, again, this realization, this, this opportunity for all of them to decide, hey, we don't, we're running out of supply, but God. They all have opportunity to look back and testify to themselves, to remind themselves of the testimony of God's uh, provision. They can say, you remember when we were in Egypt and God showed up and he protected us from the plagues? You remember when he said, go ask your, sir, your masters for gold and silver uh, and see what happens? And when we did, they lavished us with gold and silver and clothing and and tents and just all the supplies we could ever need to basically be a nation, a nation of supplies came to us just because we asked. And you remember when, and you remember when, and you remember when, and they could talk about the, the travel days, they could talk about the Red Sea, they could talk about, I mean, there was just so many, they could talk about Mariah and the way that throwing a stick in the water, caused it all to be sweet, and just God proving to them, hey, there's no need to worry about your water supply. I will, like, wherever you are, 
It doesn't take hard work. I mean, there's so many ways that they could have approached this circumstance with the goodness of God in mind, but this, the slavery, victim mentality, the, the, the selfishness was so deeply entangled in the way that they viewed their circumstances that when these circumstances arose, they, they fell into it. I don't blame them. I'm not upset with them. I go through the same thing. When circumstances hit us, it is easy to revert back to our, to our internal uh, perspective rather than a eternal or heavenly perspective. So in verse in verse three, when it was like, if only we had died in the Lord's at the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate food all we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly. In verse three, we what they say basically is, we traded our freedom for food and shelter, and we got it. When we were in Egypt. We traded, we traded freedom for food and shelter, and they at least provided that. We worked in exchange for government to provide the basic needs, and we got our basic needs. They provided enough food and shelter for us that we didn't die. And I mean to tell you, right? I mean, you and I both know this. There are many governments where that is still true today, where they provide just enough for their people to have food and just enough food and just enough shelter that they don't die. And they basically say, you should be grateful to us for providing all we do. And at some level, they the people are because they think, well, yeah, because any less and I would die. But at least I'm alive. At least I'm able to eat. At least I have a place to call home. And most governments, most Their goal is to retain power, and the best way to retain power is to keep people from thinking that they can do anything on their own. If if everyone depends on, on the government for everything that they, quote, need, and all they really need is enough food and shelter to survive, but if they depend on the government for those things... Then, it, then, the, then the government maintains control. They maintain authority. They maintain con, uh, uh, manipulative power over you. Not only, not only what you do, but how you do it and where you do it and where you live and how you get there. And it just, it, you can watch it down. Like if you study history at all, you see that that's, that's what happens over and over and over again all throughout the study of mankind. And God's really trying to set up a different type of government here. He's trying to help them see that the government of heaven is not that type of government. And he, as circumstance arises, God doesn't cause it. It arises because of life. And he's, he's, he's giving them, right, they have the opportunity. What do you want to do? How do you want to approach this? And they're, they're, they go to Moses and say, hey, our last masters took care of the basic, our basic needs. And, and they're going to Moses and Aaron saying, now you guys are our new masters, and you should at least do the same. You should, Right? Or we should just go back because at least there, those masters took care of our basic needs. You're not taking care of the basic needs. You promised us freedom and love and joy and peace. You had all this hope, 
of a new nation taking over another country, running things ourselves, being in control, finally, you know, being my, you know, uh, uh, being able to protect and own everything because you owe it all to me. And now we're out here and you can't even provide the basic needs that the last masters provided. We should just go back there. If I mean, we're going to die anyways. That's another way that that's another, that's a nuance of what they're saying here. We're going to die. Some master's going to kill us. But at least if we die in the hands of the masters in Egypt, we would have food and shelter. We would have something to eat and a place to sleep until we died. But out here, we're out here in the desert. We we're sleeping in tents and we're running out of food. We run out of water. Like, how are you? What's your plan, master? What's your plan? How are you going to provide for us? You promised us freedom. Well, who cares if we can't eat? Who cares if we're free and we die in the desert? They escalated this pitch of victimhood until they got to that part. Slaves and victims always tend to communicate poorly because they focus on extreme words. They don't focus on finding solutions. They don't ask questions to bring about solutions. Like they, listen, they could have looked at their circumstances and maybe, maybe they think to themselves, "I, I don't have a solution for this. Let's go to Moses and ask him to talk to God. Like, like even if they wanted uh, at some level to have communication with the God who seems to always come through for them, they didn't go to Moses with that kind of approach. They went to Moses with accusations of you're not as good of a master as the last one. And you promised us more. Now, right? How, how many, quote, democratic uh, governments in the world, right? Everybody's like, you promised us free everything and, and you, didn't, you lied. It turns out we have to pay all our money back to you in taxes. It's like, well, you know, it's, when, I forget the, some philosopher said that, right? The democracies will only last as, uh, until all the people realize that they can vote themselves. Uh, they can vote more money for themselves and less for other people. So basically, the taxes keep going up and up and up until eventually everybody, what, gives up all their freedom and lets the government provide with their basic needs uh, and control everybody's movement. And they do it in the name of, I'm going to be free. I'm going to be free. And they're, they're, you know, the Israelites are no different. They've gone to Moses at, at some level. They could have went to him and said, listen, we don't know what God's going to do with our problem, but we have a problem. We're running out of food, and we need food to survive. We're out here in the wilderness. Great. We're out here walking step by step, following the cloud. Everything's going good. We get it. Uh, we're, we're on a new adventure. We're, we're going to develop a new country with a new government. There's a lot of newness, but you know what, Mo? We're, we're short on food, though. You know, Mo, we're short on food. So could you talk to God and see what he wants to do? But they go to him with that extreme, we're all going to die. This is all your fault. You let us down. And and when you communicate poorly, you one of the ways you can tell this is your vocabulary kills conversation. Your vocabulary kills kills any idea of a solution. 
You basically present things in such a way that everything's going to be ruined or everything's going to crash or everyone's going to die. And there's no, there's no other way to, to view this. There's only one way. I mean, I, I work with people like this, uh, especially currently. And at the time of this recording, I'm working at a liquor store, just stocking shelves and, and keeping, uh, you know, well, yeah, boxes. I, I stack boxes and sling bottles all day. But there are many people there who just, they just can't find a positive way to look at anything. Every day they come in, they're sick, they're tired, they're sore. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know how they live like this, but every day they do. And that's exactly, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't bring about communi- good communication. They present things in such a way that it's like conversation's over. Conversation's over. I presented something. This is the way I feel. Bah! No more conversation. This is the way I feel. You hurt me. You offended me. You, 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 you. I'm the victim. You're the bad guy. Conversation's over. They're, uh, victims are horrible people to conversate with because they, they keep derailing conversation. Any relationship that has poor communication will ultimately die because relationships are built on communication. And I've seen that happen in businesses and with workers and, and bosses. I've seen it happen in churches with preachers who are as much as they may be good orators and they can get up front and wow a crowd. They're not good at relationship. They don't communicate well. And so the relationships die all around them. People leave all the time and, and they don't know why. I don't know why. Because you don't communicate well. But leading people out of this mentality, helping people learn to communicate as not a victim, learn to see themselves as not a slave is incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult because literally everything they view life through has to be changed. So every circumstance, you have to remind them of how heaven would view that same circumstance. See, if heaven looked at at the circumstance of you of somebody running out of food, it just looks back to heaven. It looks like, well, here's an opportunity for God to come through. Here's an opportunity to be promoted in, and expanded in my faith and my trust. It's a much easier task to keep people thinking as slaves, to keep them victims, because they'll do what you tell them to do. If you provide what you what you promise to provide, they'll just do it. Whatever you want. Whatever you want, we'll do it. So verse 4 and 5, God comes up with, with a solution. He's like, uh, listen, I'll, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people can go out each day, gather enough food for the day, and in this way, I will test them. I know this is, we'll work on that. We'll test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So God brings a brings unconditional loving solution. Unconditional. He's like, I'm going to rain down bread on top of them every morning. Now he doesn't say, if they follow my instructions, I will I will rain down bread. That's not what he says. Now that's the way a lot of people want to present it. 
But he's like, listen, we're just gonna, we're just gonna, this, we're gonna take this as an opportunity to to develop within them a different mentality, a different pattern of life, a pattern of trusting relational connection to their God, not one of a master-slave mentality. I'm gonna rain down bread from heaven every single morning. And they are to go out and gather all the bread that they want for the day. And then then, then it'll be at night, it's gone. Throw the rest away. And more will come tomorrow. This is this pattern is one of, of God being trusted every day. This is one of God being abundant every day. This is this is once that word test really means prove, right? Uh, they're gonna prove to themselves that that they listen and hear from God. They're going to prove to themselves that I listen and hear from them, that we are in a relationship that goes hand in hand, that I am not way up high, unapproachable, and I'm, you know, only talk to me through Moses. I want them to to touch and feel my goodness every single day. I want them to, to taste it. They say that this bread tastes like honey, sweet, sweet bread. It had to be spectacular, melt-in-your-mouth spectacular bread every morning. God's heart is not to make them slaves, but to make them free. And this is, this is a key concept when you're interpreting, interpreting, inter- when in the interpretation and translation of these, of these scriptures, right? God's rules are never to enslave. It's never a test of, you better pass the test with an A or you failed. Like there's no second place in, in heaven. It's only first place. And if you don't come in first, you're last. Famous Ricky Bobby quote, right? God gives an opportunity to choose a path that brings more life, more freedom, more hope, more joy. That's the path that he offers, but it's still your choice on how you're going to perceive it. The people that walk out every morning could perceive the goodness of God raining down on them, unconditional love of God raining down on them, unconditional goodness of God raining down on them, that every day their God wanted to interact with them. He wanted them to be, he wanted to be touched. He wanted to be tasted. He wanted to see that all of this is good. Or you come or you can come out every morning and go, I better gather just enough. I don't want to gather too much. I want to gather just enough that I need because I don't want God to be displeased. Because if he is, then there'll be no, no food tomorrow. It's fascinating to me. This, this manna from heaven, this stayed with them for years. Every morning, God was faithful. Every morning, there was food to eat. It's, it's a fascinating concept. And here we're introduced to it. Now, <laughs> I know, we didn't get far, did we? But I hope you got a picture of travel days. I hope you got a good picture of... of Working yourself out of a slave mentality, we all probably have roots of, of victimization and slavery that goes into our brain. And it's just the way we were taught, or the way that the way that we were taught about God or about parents or about ourselves. And and we're just trying to keep everybody happy. That's a slave mentality. So I hope maybe you can examine yourself and start to untangle yourself from even deeper places where maybe that's taken place. 
and I hope you guys have a fabulous day, and I look forward to seeing you again next week on the Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Oh, hell. Uh, uh, here are my thoughts. I I listened to that episode, and I thought, what a tangled bunch of, well, I don't, I don't know, did I have, I, I know I had some coherent thoughts, but uh, if I had to summarize it, I think what I was trying to say was a victim mentality will always find excuses to be, in a, uh, to be a victim. And when you're coming out of, a, in essence, a slavery mindset, whatever you're a slave to, to untangle from that mindset is very difficult because the mind is used to it. it. It goes back to it. It simply wants to connect back to something that seems familiar. And, and the Israelites are out there and they're saying, this is unfamiliar. Things are unsure. We don't know really where we're going because we follow the cloud. We don't know how we're going to survive because... We don't have the resources that we used to have. Even though it cost us our freedom, we had better supplies back in Egypt. So let's go back there. Why did you bring us out here? And that kind of mentality is hard to untangle from. It's hard if you're not willing to do the work, if you want somebody else to do the work for you. And I think some of that, again, is that victim mentality. Somebody... Somebody has to take care of me. And governments take advantage of that. Leaders of all sorts, whether it's in business or church or nonprofits of any kind, leaders take advantage of the idea that you will defer to them if they promise to take care of you, even if they continually fail at that promise. It's more comfortable for you to blame them than it is for you to say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my way out of this. And that's really what um, the challenge is but it, uh, for the Israelites, but it's not, you know, it's not on an individual scale. Uh, it's on a massive scale of a million plus people. Wow. I don't know why I made that all into such an incredibly long episode when I could have just said it like that. Oh, good golly, Miss Molly. All right. Well, uh, I appreciate, as always, you guys um, hanging out with us. At the time of the recording of this Bob Thoughts, I am in the middle of looking for a job. Uh, got a couple leads, Look, hoping to, to get it done. Uh Obviously not long-term jobs. Uh, where we are currently staying is not. <laughs> we're we're at a at a winter rental at a summer destination, so it's it's cheap. Um, we gave up the RV. Uh, I think I've said that before. Not gave it up for good, but we put it up for storage, stored it for the winter, and. Uh, we're hanging out near family, uh, getting to know them, and just enjoying the opportunity to be around them. Uh, so, yeah, um, hopefully, 
by the time you hear this, I will have um, at least one, if not two, kind of part-time jobs, and we will uh, we will keep you updated. We will keep you updated. And if you're listening to this years from now, just know that when you wander, as my wife and I have been doing now for almost two years, there there are things that that uh, <laughs> that that don't make sense. And and in doing that, even though you you know inherently that you're following the Lord, like like the Israelites did when they were looking at the at the pillar, they knew God was there. He was for them, not against them, etc. But it, it there's things you do that doesn't make sense. Like it just doesn't. You you want to kind of plug back into the matrix. You want to plug back into what's comfortable. Uh, but you also truly believe that God will come through for you because you've seen him come through for you. And that's what we're doing. And uh, we hope someday to land so the wandering is done. But uh, at some level in in doing these recordings and in uh, listening to them again, it's like, wow, yep, I kind of relate. I kind of relate, as I'm sure a lot of you do as well. So I hope you continue to enjoy the uh, episodes and I look forward to talking to you again next week uh, on the Bob Thoughts after the Epic Narrative. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.